Let's pray, and then uh, we'll get rolling this morning. Heavenly Father, it is an honor to be here. Um, Man, the worship has just been so uh, sweet. And so, Lord, we just thank you for lifting up praises to you and, uh, Lord, being in this place. And, Lord, be with me this morning as we break open your word to realize that everything that we do is to bring people to the throne of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have loved worship this morning. And one of the reasons I love worship so much is life is hard. Can I have an amen on that? I mean, it's, uh, life is good, but life is hard. And so when we come together on Sunday morning, it is a big deal that we lift up our praises, that we worship. Uh, and so I can't thank all of you guys for the worship experience this morning. It was, it was amazing. So let's give them a huge hand for what they've done. We're in this three-week series. It's called The Revolution. And so let's just define again, if you weren't here last week, what is a revolution? And this comes from dictionary.com. A revolution is a sudden, complete change, radically new or innovative, outside or beyond the established procedure. And last week, we talked about Jesus Christ was the ultimate revolutionary. But we're going to get into something a little different today. It's not so much just an individual, for example, the life of Jesus. We're going to talk about a relationship being revolutionary. And, uh, and so I thought about this song that's very dear to my heart, uh, very moving. And uh, so I've asked Heather to come up and just sing just a, little, just a little bit from this song and try not to cry. So Heather, if you can do that for us. For friends of friends forever, if you know it, sing along. If the Lord's the Lord of them, and a friend will not say never. Okay, Heather, that's enough. Okay, um, <laughs> I just got to be brutally honest. I hate that song. Now, I, let me frame where I'm, yeah, you're like, get off the stage. So it came out about 83, uh, and the first five or six times it came out, I'm like, that's, that's really catchy. That's really, that's beautiful. About the hundredth time, every youth group thought, we got to play Friends. They thought that was really new, breaking new ground there, Spartacus, you know, and so, uh, and I remember they would always put the old cheesy slideshow with it. And I can remember at church camp, about the hundredth time, I'm like, don't you dare roll friends out. And so then they would roll it out, and I'm like, here we go again, friend. And when I was at Short Oaks the first time, I was here nine years, and uh, so they had a going away party. And I remember the, this college group stood up, and they said, you know, John, you've touched your life so deeply, we want to sing this special song. And they started singing friends, and I don't even like them anymore. I mean, I'm just like, don't. Now, here's why I feel gu- guilty. I researched Friends, Michael W. Smith, and uh, it's, it's heart-wrenching because it really is true. He had a really close friend, and he was moving, and him and his wife said, you know what, uh, friends are friends forever, you know, when you're in Christ. She said, we should write a song about that. So she wrote all the lyrics in less than a half hour. He went in, and in three minutes, he cranked out the melody, and they created Friends. And he said, over the years, people have made fun of the song. But he said, I got to tell you, every concert, the emotions are raw, and then the stories follow. And they follow with things like, that song means a lot because one of my friends died. That makes me feel terrible. And uh, saying goodbye at camp, or just saying goodbyes in general. So he said, that's why I keep singing the song. But there is something powerful just about that thought about friends. So my question is, can a friendship be revolutionary in your life? Because when you look at the life of Jesus and the life of Peter, i got to tell you, it's a revolutionary friendship because you see what happens after. 
He surrenders completely to Jesus Christ and what that means. That's why this morning, if you've got your bulletins, you're going to find three words. And these are the three words that I would say, if somebody was going to define what is a life-changing friendship, what does that entail? It's these three words. Here's the first one, trust, trust. Look at Matthew chapter 4. This is the first time that Jesus encounters his first disciples, starting in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets, and they followed him. Now, let me just pause there. If you were to go over to John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, you'll find something very interesting. And, and that is, this was not the first time that these first disciples encountered Jesus. Matter of fact, it's interesting, they followed John the Baptist, a couple of them at least followed John the Baptist. They loved the teachings of John the Baptist. And then they remembered when they heard John the Baptist reach out when Jesus came into the water, remember what he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And so they started to focus on Jesus. They started to listen to his teaching. And then they started from a distance following Jesus. And then here's what I love about Jesus. Do you notice what Jesus did right here? He went into their world. He walked to them. Jesus didn't put up a sign and say, I got a big building. Jesus didn't say, hey, get back to me. Let's uh, set up an appointment. No, Jesus went to them. And now he didn't go to their world. He went right where they lived. Don't you love that? Right there where they were fishing. And Jesus reaches out to them, and he speaks a language that they totally understand. I want you to fish for men. I've got something that will fill this emptiness in your life. But it's a lesson for all of us. Are we willing to go where people live? I mean, that's where friendship begins. It begins by us making that move. Jesus, the co-creator of the universe, not only walked with us, he walked to us. That's a big deal. Are we worthy of that same relationship? He went and lived where they lived. Follow me. That word follow, that's a, it's an amazing word, and it means walking in the steps of. And don't you love, especially little boys, I love to watch little boys imitating their dads and their grandpas and how they walk. You know, they put their boots on and they waddle around, you know, or maybe some of the boys walk like their moms, that's their issue. You know, I don't know how that, but I love to watch kids grow up, and if you haven't seen them for years, and uh, Marina, I've had the honor of working with kids for years, and to see them grow up, and you'll see them walking towards you, and you're like, oh, my land, you walk just like your dad, or you walk just like so-and-so. There's something powerful about following in someone's footsteps. So Jesus said, will you follow me? Will you follow me to be fishers of men? And when Jesus reaches out that way, that's his way of trusting. He, de he demonstrates trust, and he demonstrates it through an invitation. Will you come and follow me? And let me share with you, folks, invitations, they still matter. There is nothing that is more influential than an invitation. An invitation says, I like you. I like being around you. I want to spend time with you. The poet Wallace Stevens said this, after that final no, there comes a yes. And on that yes, the world depends. Let me encourage everyone here right now that you have friends or family members, and maybe you've tried for years to uh, go to church with them, or you've tried to do something to put them in the presence of other believers, and they keep resisting, and you just get really discouraged, don't, don't give up. 
because it's that one yes. You know why that matters? Because I guarantee you there's stories right here. You were probably a person that said no, 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 and one day you said yes. Never give up on the power of an invitation. It's a great way to demonstrate trust. LifeWay Research surveyed, this is cool, they surveyed 15,000 adults in North America, and they gave them 13 options of what was successful in having people take that first step towards a church. 13 options. Number one, overwhelming, 67%, a personal invitation from a family member or friend. A personal invitation. It means everything. Now, we all know that works. We're all busy. Matter of fact, I want to issue some challenges here in the next two weeks. I want you to jot some of these down of what you can do for a friend or a family member. Ride with a friend. Set a goal to actually go uh, on a ride. Run errands with a friend. Help cook a meal. Uh, go out with a friend and pay for their meal. Now, I can just tell you from my personal experience, uh, I'm a really busy person. If somebody calls and says, hey, John, love to take you out and pay for your meal, I'm like, yeah, I can clear my calendar. You know, all of us are wired that way, so be thinking about, and how can I do something intentionally with a friend in the next two weeks? Now, why do I say that's important? Because if you're not intentional, it doesn't just happen. See, we need to understand something about friendship is how important it is that we take the first step. Trust through an invitation. The second word that I think is so critical is time. Look at John 2, verses 8 to 12. And let me give you a little background so this makes sense. So the very first miracle of Jesus, he turns the water into wine. We all know that story. And you know that in that day, a wedding feast would last almost a week. Can you imagine a wedding reception lasting a week? Now, I don't know if you're like me. Maybe I'm just speaking to men here. When I think of wedding receptions, it's like root canal wedding reception. You know, I mean, it's just, sorry, I have two girls that got married, and I love them. The reception, you know, I mean, just saying, yeah, YMCA and dancing, all that weird stuff. So anyway, it, it just, but imagine a whole week of this, and the tradition was you started the week, and you served your best wine, and then you kind of wanted people to leave, and so they served the the poorest wine at the end, which was they added water. And so they came to the bridegroom and they said, hey, we're running out of wine. And then uh, Jesus does what only Jesus could do. And the bridegroom took a drink. He said, wait a second, this is the best wine. And the disciples and those around Jesus, they realize, as it tells us in Scripture, that's the first time people realize this is the Son of God that just did that. Follow with me then in verse 8. He says, then he told him, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. And they said, and they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it came from. Though the servants had drawn the water that he knew, then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see that? The lights are coming on. Not only are his teachings stirring my heart, only God in the flesh could do that. Now follow this, verse 12. After he went down to Capernaum, 
with his mother and brothers and his disciples highlight this. They stayed there for days. I read this in USA Today uh, after the end of the vacation season, and this is really cool. 69% of all Americans say that traveling to the destinations with their family is even more fun than the destination itself. So if you reflect on your family vacations, do you remember the journey to where you were going? And when you get together and you start laughing at Christmas, isn't that what you talk about? I mean, at the time, it may not seem fun. You know, it's fun when dad gets lost and the kids all know they're lost. Good times, you know. Or one of the kids throw up or, you know, maybe you throw mom out the door. You know, whatever it is that got your attention, you remember that. Destination, you remember those trips. And I can tell you the countless youth trips I've had, men's trips. It's interesting. Sometimes I forget where we went in the destination, but I don't forget the conversations. Those one o'clock conversations, those are pretty amazing. See, Jesus could have easily just walked away from those disciples from that feast and let them just live with the fact that he's the son of God. But you know what he did? It says he spent days with them. And you got to know what's not even recorded here is the conversation they had to that destination. You got to know their worlds are spinning. You got to know that behind the scenes they're like, did you see what he did? I'm assuming it was Peter went up and said, hey, Jesus, I know that's not a card trick, but uh, walk me through that. Like, how did you do that? How did you do that? And I love the fact that Jesus gave them the most precious gift of all. He gave them time. That's how a relationship becomes a revolutionary relationship. I love this quote. It says, friendship isn't about who you've known the longest. It's about who walked into your life and said, I'm here for you. And then they proved it. Isn't that true in your life? I know it is in my life. There are seasons I look back in my life and I think of really hard times in ministry. And there was a friend that showed up. And they were just there. And they just listened. And I think at times that hopefully I've been there for others when they're going through this really hard time. That's what friends do. They show up. That's all about time. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have 168 hours in a week, 8,760 hours in a year. But are we investing in friends? You know, it's more important to be a good friend than to desire having a good friend. Are you a good friend? Are you that kind of friend? I love verse 12 again because Jesus demonstrated the power of time. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, God will never leave or forsake you. Psalms 31.15, my time is in God's hands. And Psalms 34.18, God is close to the brokenhearted. I love that. I want to just close with this. If you'll turn over to John 21, and this is the word for revolutionary friendship, and that's the word love. But I, I hope in just a few minutes, I can break down why this conversation of love that we're going to talk about really is revolutionary. I think it, it's, a, it's the ultimate game changer for Peter. So let me set it up for you a little bit so it, it makes a little sense. If you go over to John chapter 21, you've got to remember Jesus Christ has already defeated death. He's already uh, just shocked the world through the resurrection. He's already had two appearances to these disciples. He's had groups that have had a chance to experience in him. And then there's a, a period of silence. And so we know that these five, these five guys did what they always do. Uh, they were fishermen. And they're trying to figure out what's next in our life. 
And are we going to see Jesus again? When are we going to see Jesus again? And so there they are in the boat. They've been fishing all night. So you know their eyes are burning and they're exhausted. And there it says right there as the sun is coming up, they look on the beach and they don't recognize the person at first. And then they hear a voice, I'm paraphrasing, it says, hey, have you caught anything? And then they realize it's Jesus. And they're actually pretty close to the shore. Now this is when it gets great. Jesus said, hey, go ahead and take that net, throw it on the right side of the boat. Now, Peter knows now that's Jesus. So Peter does what Peter always does. He's out of the boat. You know, he couldn't walk on the water. Now he's going to plow through the water, you know. And so it says he's wrapping the clothes and he's plowing through the water. And at the exact time that he's trying to get to Jesus, the boat is overflowing now with 153 fish in the net. So you see Peter going, Jesus, fish. You know, he's just caught in the middle. He doesn't know what to do. And then he makes the move. He gets the fish, he gets the net, and he drags it on. And then I love this about Jesus. Jesus says, oh, you've got some fish. I've got a fire here. How about breakfast? Isn't that great? Let's have a meal. How fired up do you think these guys are now, except for Peter? Now, I'm just speculating, but you've got to know after the adrenaline starts to, to waver, he's like, oh, no. In a group setting, things were pretty good. But it's just me and Jesus and a few others this is the talk. This is when he's going to share Peter. Remember last time how you denied me? Do you, do you remember that? Remember the last time we sat around a fire? Do you remember that? You know he was dreading that. And it's from that that this conversation happens. So I want you to go with me starting in verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Son of John, do you love me? More than these. Let me pause there. One of the things that we do in America that drives me nuts is we take that word that is a life-changing word, that word love, and we put everything in that category. So I love Mother Bear's Pizza, and I love my mother. Do you see the difference? But we do that. Now, the Greek language... There were several words for that word love. The, the two primary words today I want to focus on is agape. That means unconditional, sacrificial love. And then the other one is philos, and that simply means brotherly love. And you're going to see Jesus will use both words, but I want you to see why that is so important. The first time he says, again, to Simon Peter, do you love me, agape? Do you love me unconditionally? And then here's the kicker, more than these. What are the these? Did you ever wonder that? So I started digging, and uh, uh, the scholars, by the way, do agree with me. Um, <laughs> the these are the fish. Well, you know, Jesus sees 150-something fish, minus a few they've just eaten, and he says, um, do you love me more than this? Your occupation, your security, this is where you go when you're going to escape, you're going to fish, and here's the deal. This is the best day of your life. Everybody here, I guarantee, if you fish, if you play golf, if you have a hobby, you know your best days. If you don't think so, ask a golfer, do you know your best day? And then buckle up. They are going to tell you everything about that. Take somebody who's passionate about someone and just say, wait a second, can you remember the best day? Absolutely. 
And so now on the best fishing day of their life, he said, do you love me more than all of that? I think that's a great question for all of us. And then he transitions to the second time. He says, do you love me? That's agape again. Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter's taken back. He said, well, then feed my lambs. Now, what are lambs? I think Jesus is saying, do you love the next generation? Do you love the children? Because, see, he knows. See, Jesus knows the future. Like, Peter, you're the one that's going to start the revolution called the church. So you got to love the next generation. Now, Peter is really taken back, and he's hurt. Then Jesus, the third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, here's a kicker. Philos. It's not agape. Philos. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. It's Jesus. It makes sense. And why did Jesus switch the tense? Well, because he knows Peter. Peter's always all in. I will die for you. I will do anything for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. I know that, Peter. I know. Now, let's bring it all the way back. Do you love me like a brother, like a friend? Because that's the way I need you to love everybody else. From this point forward, I need you to love others the way I love you. Like a brother, do you love me like that? I think it's the same question he has for us. If we're truly going to follow Jesus, are we willing to say, I love others the way Jesus loves others? I follow Jesus, so I want my friendships to make a difference because Jesus wants me to make a difference. There's a song that I, I absolutely love. It's by U2 and B.B. Uh, King, uh, and it's called When Love Came to Town. And this is just a lyric from it I just want to share with you. I absolutely love this. Uh, and the, the reason I love this song, it's about a completely broken person whose life is just a, sh a shambles. It's a shipwreck and basically communicates my life was in shambles until Jesus came to me, till love came to town. Here's what he said. I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the soldier drew the sword. I threw the die when they pierced his side. But I've seen love conquer the great divide. But when love comes to town, I'm going to jump that train. And when love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. That's the day love came to town for Peter. That's the day that he was redeemed. That's the day that he's restored. And that's what Jesus Christ wants for everybody here today. No matter how broken you are, no matter how fractured some of your friendships are, he wants you right now to be that kind of friend. He wants you to get on that train. And for some of you, you don't even know what that is to be redeemed and be restored. But only Jesus Christ can do that. I want all of you to know that. Through the pain, he's right there. This past week was one of the most emotional weeks uh, for years for me. About a year ago or so, uh, me and a good friend were from Bible college, started talking. And it's the same old thing. Man, when's the last time... We saw each other. Well, it's been like 20 years. And then we'd name another guy. When's the last time you saw that guy? I, I don't even remember. I, I don't think I've seen him since school. I said, that's so stupid. I thought we would be the group that got together. I thought we were the good movie. You know what I'm talking about? I thought we were that group. And he said, me too. And I said, that's, I've had this. That's enough. I'm going to send out an email. 
and I'm going to pick the weekend, and I'm going to pick the place close to me so I don't have to travel. So I'm going to do it, and I'm going to just see what... Now, you ever try to get a hold of like eight or nine ministers? You've never heard more excuses in your life. You know, I'm winning people to Jesus. You know, whatever it was. So uh, I threw it down, and honestly, I thought, no way. Six guys are like, I'm clearing the calendar, and we got to get together. We stayed up the first night till four in the morning. I mean, I would love to say it's spiritual, but it really was. So anyway, we were reminiscing about, you did that? You didn't get arrested. So anyway, we're going back. We're swapping stories. And then right about three in the morning, uh, a really good friend of mine said, guys, this has been so good for me. And then this big chair <laughs> rolls down. He said, guys, my son just two days ago told me he doesn't want anything to do with me. And one by one, the guy's like, oh, man, I got to tell you what's happening with my life and my kids. And we got up the next morning, and, and everything started to change. Started to share hearts, started to share lives, the brokenness, uh, the disasters. And, um, and then we looked around, and, and we got laughing, and we're like, do you think the faculty thought 30 years later that we would still be in ministry? And we we're like, absolutely not. And it was one by one, man, I love you. I love you so much, man, I love you so much. And I realized, man, why? Why is it we wait so long sometimes for friends? And the crazy thing was just yesterday, I sent out another email, and I'm like, we're getting together, and one by one, all six guys are like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Now, here's the point. Where are you right now in your life? Who is God putting in your life right now? Who are the friends that maybe you haven't invested in, you need to start investing? Who are the friends maybe you just need to let them know what they mean to you? Can friendships be revolutionary? Absolutely. When you look at the life of Peter, this changed his life. Because it wasn't just Jesus Christ, my Lord. I really believe it was, this is Jesus, my friend makes all the difference.